Welcome to the Enlighten Up Podcast, where I am going to take you into a deep exploration of what it means to exist in this current reality. We are going to raise your vibes, open your mind, expand your heart, and dive deep into the wondrous mysteries and possibilities of this lifetime. There's been a spiritual catalyst that has set in motion the awakening process of many across the globe to return to the knowingness of self and unite what has been separated. Together, we're going to bring light into that darkness. We're going to remember the joy of living. But most of all, we're going to turn up the volume of our own eternal power and do the thing we're here to do. Welcome back to the Enlighten Up podcast. I am excited to share some very new information for the show. And today I have a brand new guest on, Dr. Shafee. He's a neurosurgeon who advocates a plant-free diet. He began his university education studying molecular and cellular biology with a minor in chemistry at the University of Washington in Seattle at the age of 15, which culminated in attaining his MD from the Royal College of Surgeons. He's an All-American rugby player and a formal former professional athlete in England and America, having taken several years off from his education for the pursuit of sports between his undergraduate degree and his medical school. Throughout his athletic career, he saw firsthand the monumental difference that diet makes to performance and recovery and almost accidentally came across and practiced a fully carnivorous diet from the age of 20 to 25, having first learned of the very toxic nature of plants during his university education. Since then, he has rediscovered his truth and more and has dedicated many years and a large part of his professional practice to the study and education of diet and nutrition and personally practices a fully carnivorous diet to this day with incredible results. And I got to say, you look great, Anthony. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Uh, Thank you very much. Yeah, um, I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. So I've just recently come across the carnivore diet, like in the last couple of months, it's, it was never even on my radar. Um, but I've been really into health and wellness nutrition. Uh, so I'm always curious on, you know, how our diets are impacting us. And I've always never been a fan of the vegan, um, diet at all. Uh, I have practiced vegetarian for a couple of years, more so just because I truly just felt like I just wanted to do it for my body. I just felt I wanted that, but I never denied myself meat if I ever felt like I needed it. Um, But I have to say that adding more meat protein, like animal protein back into my diet has made significant changes in my health. So I know there's definitely something to this. So I don't even know where to start with all. There's so much information I want to talk to you um, about this because first of all, why don't we start with the carnivore diet? What exactly is it? Because some, someone says, oh, this is a plant-based diet. It doesn't really tell you much. So what exactly right. is the carnivore diet? Yeah. So, so a carnivore diet is, is just strictly you know, eating uh, 
you know, animal meat, basically, you know, not even necessarily animal products, because, you know, I mean, obviously dairy is a bit of a gray area that comes from animals and it's, it's primarily good, but people can have some problems with it. It's not ideal. It doesn't have, you know, everything that you need in exact proportions that you need it. Um, and then there's things like honey that technically comes from an animal, but it's actually, you know, just, just, you know, a concentrated nectar that comes from a plant and it's very high in sugar as well. So uh, it's really just, just meat and water and, and water, you know, just basically eating that, you know, what would a, what would a carnivore eat in the wild? They're just eating, you know, animal flesh. And so that's, that's the idea. Um, the, the reason being is that, you know, all, all, animals have an, have an evolved biologically appropriate species specific, you know, diet and source of nutrition, humans are no exception. We are animals and we, you know, we have uh, a biologically appropriate diet and, and people argue that that's different things, but I think that the best evidence shows that that's a, a purely carnivorous one. And this makes a massive, massive difference in, in our health and not only just, just our daily lives, but going down, uh, you know, going down the path of chronic diseases as well. I think that these are precipitated specifically from eating outside of a carnivore diet. Yeah. Okay. And so there's so many, there's so, there's so much misinformation out there that we've been told about red meat, eating meat, that it can be really bad for you. Um, it's really bad for your digestion. It's really bad for heart disease, cholesterol, all these things, which cholesterol was something I remember like when I was 20, um, uh, that I was like, this is, this is a joke. Like I, I, I'm not worried about the cholesterol. So I, I've always been kind of curious about all of the misinformation that we're told around the whole food industry and uh, our health and well-being. So first of all, talk to me about the, what you learned about plants, because this is probably going to shock a lot of vegans and vegetarians out there. And I, and we'll get into another part of this discussion because I think it's really important that I think it's completely missed on. I think what a lot of people, the reason why they go vegetarian and vegan, but what is it that you discovered when you were in school around that? Yeah. So, you know, I, I you know, if you study botany, you study horticulture, you know, it's very apparent, like this is, this is how plants, you know, defend themselves in nature. Um, you know, one of the, one of the early things I learned in biology, you know, in junior high school was that, you know, um, plants and animals are in an evolutionary arms race plants becoming more and more poisonous so that less and less animals can eat them so that they can survive and thrive. Otherwise they go extinct. And then animals becoming more and more adapted to specific poisons and specific plants. So they can break down that poison safely or those poisons safely, and they can eat that plant and they can survive and thrive. And so this is, and, and then they get a dedicated food source. They don't have to compete for resources as well. You know, so like a koala, they just eat one plant, but if they eat other plants, they, they would uh, have a problem or they even die. And no, like almost nothing else eats, eats what a koala eats. So that's their dedicated food source. They have the special adaptations to break down the poisons uh, safely and so that they can survive on eucalyptus and pandas the same with, with bamboo, et cetera. So that's something that's, that's just basic biology. So they're kind of claiming their plants. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So that that's their sort of dedicated resource. They don't have to compete for resources with other animals, and other animals do have to compete for resources, and it's, it's more of a struggle. And so, you know, you see a very successful model uh, in nature of an animal that that just has this this food source, like a wallaby. You know, they they eat plants that just just kill anything else. And uh, you know, the cassowary birds they eat fruit, but they they eat fruit that will kill anything else because they've co-evolved 
with these tropical uh, tropical fruits and tropical trees um, to 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 germinate. So the the cassowary bird would swallow this fruit. They would get the nutrition from the fruit and be able to to safely uh, uh, sidestep the the toxins. And they that that seed would germinate inside the body of the bird, and then they would you know defecate that out, and that would you know bring about new plants. Without that process, if it doesn't go through the the digestion of a cassowary bird, it doesn't it doesn't um, germinate, and so those those trees will die out. So it's very important that nothing else besides a cassowary bird eats that fruit, and so that that you see these 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 examples of coevolution with fruit and as well as plant material. So when I was taking uh, cancer biology at the university of Washington in Seattle, you know, we were going over this again, but we were looking at this through the lens of, uh, cancer. So we were looking at carcinogens. And so this was 22 years ago. And already at that time, they had discovered 136 known human carcinogens, just in Brussels sprouts and over a hundred in mushrooms. And we were given literally pages, you know, with you know, spinach, kale, lettuce, celery, cabbage, cucumber, broccoli, you name it. And there was a number next to it. And that was how many carcinogens were in it. There wasn't a single one under 60. So these things had a ton of carcinogens. Um, and we know that they were quite abundant because in the 1980s, uh, Professor Bruce Ames from UC Berkeley did a large study looking at this uh, in, in the context of pesticides, because they were trying to ban pesticides. They're saying, oh, these things are poisonous. We shouldn't eat them. And he sort of, you know, uh, you know, it, which doesn't make too much sense because, you know, we've been using pesticides for, you know, like 80, 80 years or so. And they, we weren't having the problems that we were seeing uh, that they were concerned about, but certainly they are poison. So, okay, let's look at it. That's the whole point of them being poisonous. They, they stop yeah, animals yeah. from eating. Like that's, <laughs> that's the purpose. Exactly. And, um, and so we looked at it and he found that the naturally occurring poisons that plants use to stop insects and animals from eating them far outweighed the pesticides we were spraying them by a factor of really? 10, yeah, by a factor of 10,000, there was 10,000 times more, uh, naturally occurring poisons by weight than the pesticides we sprayed on them. And the naturally occurring toxins were orders of magnitude times more likely to cause cancer than the pesticides we sprayed on them. So this is why we still have pesticides, you know, because like they, they were found to be a drop in the bucket compared to the spinach that people were wow, eating. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we were very taken aback by this and, and very surprised as I'm, I'm sure anyone hearing that would be. And I remember thinking, oh, he must be joking. This has to be, you know, just a scam or something like that. But, you know, I was looking around, looking for someone who was like in on the joke and just waiting for him to say like, oh yeah, no, I'm just playing around. Didn't happen. And so I eventually dawned on me. I was like, oh my God, okay, this, this guy's actually serious. And I thought to myself, I was like, well, okay, but the vegetables are still good for you though, right? And he just must've just read our minds because he just looked at us and he said, I don't eat salad. <laughs> I don't eat vegetables. I don't let my kids eat vegetables. Really? He said that. Yeah. And then he followed up with plants are trying to kill you. And I was like, right, screw plants. And I just stopped. <laughs> and so, you know, I went to the store and it's just everything had a plant in it. You know, everything was, was, was plant-based or, or at least plant mixed. And so I just, by default, gravitated to, you know, eggs and milk and meat you know, because those didn't come from plants. They didn't have it mixed in with it. And so I defaulted into a carnivore diet without realizing that's what I was doing. And of course, you know, we have all the best data from a fossil record and, and biologically and genetically and anatomically 
you know, we are carnivores and we were known to be apex predators, top of the food chain. I mean, we eat all the animals below us, you know, apex predators don't graze. Apex predators, you know, don't eat a whole bunch of fibrous plants. You know, yeah. they don't, they don't need roughage, you know? So it's, um, it's, uh, it's a bit bizarre that we would, we would do that. And, and it, it would seem to be unnatural. And in fact, you know, it is, um, I didn't realize I was doing that at the time, but, you know, looking back, you know, because I, I slipped off of it sort of five years later, but, you know, I felt amazing. I was playing professional rugby. I was in, I was in college. I had just boundless energy. I couldn't run out uh, of, I couldn't gas out. I was just go, 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 go at a dead sprint all the time. I just push myself so hard, recover so quickly. And my athletic performance was just, you know, accelerating. Um, then I was in England playing professionally and I just sort of slipped off of it because, you know, some of the meat was breaded. I couldn't really get, you know, the same access to things. And I just was just like, oh, well, is it that big of a deal? Just like, you know, a bit of, you know, like breaded chicken or something like that, like crumbed chicken. And, you know, it was, I remember thinking to myself a few months in, I'm like, why don't I feel as just, you know, superhuman as I normally do? You know, am I not just working out as hard? Like, is there you know, something going on? Years later, I sort of realized like, that was it. That's when I started coming off a carnivore diet and, and you know, humans are carnivores. That's the kind of animal we are. And I started eating these plants again. They had those plant toxins again. And, uh, you know, it started, started causing harm. I mean, we, yeah. we know this intuitively, right. You know, that, that if you get, you know, that, that plants use, use poison to defend themselves, like all living things have a defense, right. Absolutely. So, yeah. So like, you know, while animals can run away or fight back, you know, plants can't, they're stationary. So they need to use other, other methods. And one of those methods is by being poisonous. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, if you get lost in the woods and you run out of, run out of food, you can't just eat any random plant, right? Mm -hmm. You know, mo most of them make you very sick or you even kill you. Um, so this is a common theme, you know, in plants. And so it, you know, spinach doesn't kill us, you know, they're edible and inedible plants. Most plants are inedible, right? Meaning that it will cause serious harm if you eat them. Yeah. But even the edible plants, they will still cause harm too. They just won't cause as much. And so, you know, it's not that spinach isn't, isn't poisonous. Like a spinach will kill many other animals, right? It's just that we have more defenses towards the poisons in spinach than we do to say hemlock, you know, but it's still poisonous. Yeah. You know? Okay. So we've kind of developed some sort of um, defense system against the poisons to some degree, because clearly we're not all, well, we're, we're kind of slowly dying a very, a slow death here, like, you know, sense of well, optimal health. Um, but, you know, you said something there that's really um, important. You talked about the apex predator and how like the apex predator, which we, is, is us as well. Um, they don't eat plants and, it's because you can't really continuously be at your, like you said, at your peak performance to be hunting for your food, your survival, uh, if you're, um, if you're diminished in that way. So can you kind of take us back? Because I have a, a couple theories around like where this all kind of began, but you know, there seems to be a huge demonization of meat and particularly, um, beef. Uh, and so, and it's kind of coming from a lot of different angles. And of course, I know that anytime there's a desire with whatever the agenda might be, uh, that emotional manipulation is often used to convince people to, you know, take up a new way of, for this case, eating, diet, well-being, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, we see it in all different ways uh, across our media. 
where did all this begin? Like, when did we as um, a society start coming off the animal, more high animal uh, meat diet and move more towards plant-based? Yeah, that was, that was primarily due to the 1977 USDA declaration that cholesterol caused heart disease and saturated fat, you know, contributed as well. That, that, that completely revolutionized the way we think about food and the way we eat. And it was complete, complete crap. It was, it was just total garbage. Um, the Journal of the American Medical Association actually published in 2015 actual internal memos from the sugar companies back in like the 60s. Um, you know, 50s, 60s, talking about how they're, you know, detailing how they paid off a number of different professors, very famous professors across the country. You know, three were from Harvard, another Ansel Keys, who's, who's a very well-known uh, researcher, did the recommended daily allowances of different nutrients and all that sort of stuff. All these guys were bought and paid for by the sugar companies to put out, you know, you know libelous, uh, um, you know, uh, article, you know, studies on uh, how, you know, cholesterol caused heart disease, uh, when it was actually sugar, you yeah. know, sugar, there were, there were studies showing that, you know, there was, there's an increased correlation, like, you know, as a uh, population started increasing its consumption of, of processed sugar, their, their heart disease rate, you know, increased correspondingly. And, uh, and they were like, we need to cover that up. And so we actually have documentation, you know, their own documentation, uh, showing that they, they paid these guys off. One of those professors, was named head of the USDA. And he was the one who authored and published that 1977 declaration that, that cholesterol caused heart disease. We know it's false. We know that he was paid off. And uh, we, we have their data, we have their studies uh, that they, they use to justify these things. And we actually see that they omitted facts and they, and they kept things um, uh, secret uh, to, to paint their, their sort of narrative. Ansel Keys, for instance, had a very famous study called the Seven Nations Study where he spent all these years looking at all the data. And, uh, and he found that, you know, in these seven nations, if you increase, you know, as, as the cholesterol rates increase, the heart disease rate increases. And it's like the, on this parabolic curve, it's almost an exponential growth. Of the, the more cholesterol equals more heart disease. The problem is, is he had complete data for like 23 countries. And those didn't, didn't uh, have any corresponding relationship between increased cholesterol and, uh, and heart disease, it was, it was a complete scatter. So it was completely unrelated, right? So there wasn't even a correlation between uh, increased cholesterol and heart disease. So, you know, correlation doesn't, doesn't beget causation, okay? So all of, those, all of those studies vilifying cholesterol were just correlative anyway. So that's not good enough. Mm -hmm. But if you show that there is no correlation at all, that actually proves that there's no causation because you cannot have causation without also having a correlation at least, right? So they didn't even have a correlation. So we know that it does not cause heart disease, but that's what vilified meat, you know, because there's cholesterol in meat and there's saturated fat in meat and that will increase your cholesterol. I say, good, this is actually good for you. So yeah, I'm let's, all let's talk about that. Why is it good? Cause I mean, I, I understand that it's good for you, but a lot of people don't. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's so many benefits to having uh, more cholesterol. So can you talk yeah. about that? Um, well, I mean, cholesterol is first and foremost, it's, it's the precursor to every single one of your, of your hormones, you know, it's like, you know, your, especially your, uh, your sex hormones, like, you know, estrogen, progesterogens, uh, testosterone, uh, cortisol, you know, all of your mineralocorticoids and, and glucocorticoids that, you know, are, are made in your adrenal glands. All of them are um, based on cholesterol. 
you know, so, so you don't have enough cholesterol. You won't have enough of these pro of these uh, hormones and hormones. I feel like are the missing link to so much of our health and well being. Like they're so Mm. important to every, um, like all the chemistry in our body. So, and I don't think people realize that. I don't think people understand how important hormonal health is. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's vitally important. I mean, there's whole, there's whole fields of medicine that, that just look at the hormones in your body. And then you're trying to, you know, pharmacologically correct these, um, not realizing that if you just change your diet, you, you'll correct this on your own. I mean, I have, I have patients that have completely, you know, revolutionized their, their hormones, uh, you know, after a few months on a carnivore diet, because their body's just working how it's supposed to work and your hormones are reflecting that, um, you know, women, for, for instance, high insulin levels will block the conversion of testosterone into estrogen in women. So not everyone knows this, but, you know, women actually make testosterone first testosterone and estrogen are almost identical molecules, just like one methyl group different. So women make testosterone first, and then that's converted into estrogen in, in the ovaries. So higher insulin levels actually block that. So it stops that conversion from testosterone into estrogen. And so you get um, you know, different issues that, that can you know, manifest as like, you know, PCOS. So polycystic ovarian syndrome, w- which is a leading cause of infertility in women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also very uh, uncomfortable and it's very problematic, you know, symptom, uh, symptom wise, because they have higher than normal testosterone levels and lower than normal estrogen. And this, this plays merry hell with their system. So the insulin that, has blocked the conversions, mm, so they can't get that estrogen level up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so this is this is a, a leading cause of PCOS is just you know chronically high hyperinsulinemia, and so you know when you go on a carnivore diet or even a ketogenic diet, mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to help that significantly by dropping that insulin down to normal levels. And then, then, you know, your body can process hormones properly. And, you know, especially if you're doing like a high fat ketogenic diet or, or even better yet a high fat carnivore diet, you're going to have more cholesterol, which is going to be, you're going to be able to make the, the hormones as well. Yeah. Cause I, um, from what I understand, it's important for us as women to be eating more fat, uh, mm-hmm. with our, especially when we're on like a high protein diet, like a carnivore diet and, um, we've been obviously again fat has been demonized as well so you know you can't eat fat you can't eat it's we're all kind of being guided towards the probably the worst thing for us Mm. but it's being toted as the best thing so when you talk about the insulin what about within men what does it do to the hormone levels within men um when they are deficient in getting that cholesterol yeah so so yeah you can you can have uh you know, serious uh, lacks in, in uh, testosterone is, is the major one, uh, but all your hormones will, will be affected, of course. Um, testosterone levels are, are much lower, like in vegan and vegetarian men, sperm counts much lower as well. Infertility rates are much higher. Miscarriage rates are much higher. Birth defects and, and uh, short stature and low bone density uh, in, in children and vegan families, these are all, all at much higher rates. So this, this affects a lot of different aspects of, of life just in men. Um, you know, uh, I've had, I've had patients that have gone, you know, going on a carnivore diet after three months have increased their testosterone levels, just naturally, just their own body doing it by, you know, 30, 40%. And, and some, some more than that, there was one guy that actually his, his testosterone level actually slammed up 
into like, like higher levels. Like, Ooh, this is like, this guy's probably, you know, juicing or something like that. But he was just like, <laughs> he was like, no, I'm not. And he was just, he was just naturally, uh, that's where his body wanted to testosterone. And, um, and, and more than that, you know, you, you have more testosterone receptors. So the testosterone that you do have is actually more efficacious, you know, because it, it has more places to go and act. And so that comes from a lot of different things. One of them being from carnitine, which is, uh, you know, there's just tons of it in red meat, especially, and that increases the, that's been shown in studies to increase the number of receptors that you have for testosterone. Yes. So, you know, they're having higher levels of testosterone, but also the effect of testosterone is better as well for men. Well, I mean, and I, and I hate to say this, but it's true. It's what I'm seeing. I can visually see a difference in men today versus even say 20 years ago, um, just in physical stature, like men are just looking more, just let's just say less and less masculine. Mm. And I can, I would attribute it to the plant-based diets that are, are coming through. So I mean, to me, and I'm not the only one, I have friends who have, have seen it's the same thing. We're like, what is happening to our men? <laughs> you know, right. and, and it's, I can't attribute it to, to too much more that is like, at least glaringly obvious to me. To me, it's one of the glaringly obvious um, reasons. So when it comes to, okay, wait, before I go to this part, when it comes to cholesterol too, can you talk about like the brain um, it, um, health impacts? Because does the brain health needs, it needs good fat. It needs mm. a healthy amount of fat for it to function. So you were saying like your focus and your clarity was a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh no, absolutely. And you know, and that, and that has, uh, uh, you know, a lot to do with, with eating enough fat and your brains are made out of fat. They're made out of very long chain fatty acids, 20 and 22 chain fatty acids. These don't exist in plants. We don't really make them well ourselves. We have to get them from, from meat, from animal fat. Mm -hmm. And if we don't get enough of these things, we won't be able to, you know, for, for kids, they won't be able to build their brain properly. You know, that's one of the pieces or many others, but that that's a major limiting factor. And if they're not getting enough fat, if they're not getting enough cholesterol, they will not develop their brain properly. They will not develop their nervous system properly. And that, that is an absolute shame because there's no, there's no chance to do that again. You know, once you, once your brain is fully developed, like it's not getting any bigger, you know, and maybe you can, you have some new connections and things like that, but you're not laying down new tracks. You're not laying, you're not, you're not growing, uh, um, you know, the size and caliber of your brain. It may work better and maybe more refined, but you know, you, you have missed out, you know, our average, uh, brain size, um, is 11% smaller now versus before the agricultural revolution. You know, that is, that is, I think directly as a result of, um, of, of incorporating plants into our diet and not developing properly. And, and most people were eating a ton of meat before that. Now I guarantee you, you know, if, if, with, with the new uprise in plant-based nutrition, that this is going to actually see a further decline in, in average head circumference and, uh, and brain size. I um, heard you, I heard you say this in another interview with like, was it, um, the, was the Kellogg family, were they kind of, yeah. um, can you talk about that? Like back in the 1800s, like what, how they were kind of responsible for kind of the initial parts of this revolution? Yeah. So, so Dr. Kellogg of Kellogg cereal, you know, he was, uh, you know, a, you know, prominent sort of physician and, um, and, uh, he was also a seventh day Adventist and he was very bought into the idea that, um, you know, you shouldn't eat uh, meat because meat makes you lustful and more virulent. And it makes you think about 
procreating. Why is that? You go, well, it's, it's perfectly reasonable. You're healthy and you're fit and your biology is saying, go make babies. Yeah. You're genetically in a good place. Like go make babies. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, you're healthy, you're active, you have, you have proper nutrition, go procreate. I mean, that's, that's just, you know, know, ask any teenager, you know, (laughs) you know, I mean, that's, that is what you're, you are biologically like hardwired to do. And so this was noticed in the 1800s that people who ate meat, they were just more, you know, sexually, you know, uh, active, I guess you'd say. Um, and this was, of course, was a sin, you know, this is, this is one of the seven deadly sins, lust. And, you know, so they, they found that, you know, if you were just eating a plant-based diet, this actually suppressed those natural urges to procreate. Not, maybe they realized this, maybe they didn't, but you know, that, that's a you know, direct evidence that this is actually diminishing your health because, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're unhealthy and malnourished, your body's going to be like, well, we, we can't, we can't support a baby right now. You know, you're, you're going to die. You're not going to be able to bring that to term. You're not going to be able to care for this thing properly. And so you, that tamps that, those things down. Um, and so that's what they pushed. They pushed a, a, a you know, plant-based, even vegan diet in order to suppress the natural, you know, human uh, urges to procreate. Uh, he's also the guy who made it, um, sort of got it, got it sort of passes as like an official recommendation that, that, you know, young boys should be circumcised and made this argument of, well, you know, this, this helps for different reasons and stopping, uh, you know, different diseases and so forth. And there's, there's health reasons for this. That's wrong. That's Mm -hmm. complete nonsense. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so the reason he did that was because it's a lot harder to masturbate when you are circumcised, you know, because there isn't that play in the, in the foreskin to make it easy. And then, you know, so everyone was getting, getting circumcised. He was just sitting up at night, just beside himself thinking about people, you know, like masturbating or fornicating. And so he, he just did these things and, you know, it was very manipulative. There, you know, wasn't, um, you know, it, you know, if, if people wanted to do that because they like, they don't want that for themselves or their kids, you know, that's one thing, but manipulating people and passing yourself off as, as an expert and authority and a doctor saying, Hey, this is, this is good for your health. You should do this for your children. You know, that's, that's pretty nasty behavior. And then, you know, everyone, you know, someone, you know, figured out, uh, they could use lube and that was the end of that discussion. (laughs) Lost, lost that battle. Yeah. And, uh, but then, you know, but that, that so same dogma of, you know, this is good for you, Mm. you know, you should do this continued on. And so, you know, for generations after that, you know, they, they continued to to do this. So this guy was a bit nuts and, um, you know, and, and he had a, he had a specific agenda and, you know, he was, he was very much influenced by that and he was trying to manipulate other people. And this is why he came up with, with Kellogg's cereal. He was trying to bring forward a product and popularize it in order to suppress people's natural urges. And, you know, which is just, just sick behavior, honestly. It just seems like the biggest kind of root of all of this is trying to control mass, mass people, like mass populations. And we can see that through a lot of different religious beliefs. And it's, this isn't me dogging religion. I think there's Mm. beautiful things within all religions and spirituality, but let's face it. There's also a lot of manipulation. They use fear a lot and try to um, get us to think a certain way that is to the benefit of whoever's trying to manipulate. So when it comes to this plant-based diet, knowing that it kind of has more roots, at least in the 1800s, according to Dr. Kellogg, like what you've just spoken about, and considering like the Georgia Guidestones just came down recently, you know, and they talk about population control, 
the plant-based diet, I've always thought it, there is a link there to potentially, you know, some form of population control. Mm. I mean, you think about how they demonize um, beef and cows and how we should like, and they come up with all these like climate change issues around cows and, and all of that. And, and it's just, of course, like there's too many humans on the planet. We, everyone's, mm. we all, we all are getting demonized. It's like, mm. if you've got tissue, you're getting demonized. Yeah. So going to this idea of the vegan diets and the plant-based diets, um, you know, being healthier versus carnivore, how does that, how did that all get conflated? Like, where is a lot of the conflation in that? About the, well, yeah. So, you know, I mean, the, the, again, it goes back to the, the, the idea that cholesterol caused heart disease. And so anything with cholesterol and saturated fat became, instantly became bad for you, you know? And so the, the converse was that if it didn't have cholesterol, it was good for you, you know, which is pretty stupid, you know, because I mean, like, you know, just because something doesn't have arsenic doesn't mean it also doesn't have lead, you know, I mean, like, there's, there are more than one bad thing in the world. But that was that was the idea was that as long as it didn't have cholesterol, it was good for you. Right. And so this is why there was candy aisles that said fat free, fat free candy, you know, and so, you know, that, that that's know. A bit insane. It's like when you see products that say gluten free on them, and you you it's it's so obvious they're gluten free. Mm. But yeah, yeah, gluten free milk, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's just a, it's just a marketing thing. You know, yeah. that's, that's the buzzword of the day. It's you know fat free. And so they just put that on everything, even though like you wouldn't expect there to be any anyway, but, but that was the thing. And so because, you know, fruits and vegetables and grains and even sugar didn't have fat and cholesterol, therefore they were good for you because it was a default action. It was just like cholesterol is bad. Anything without cholesterol is good. I mean, rocks don't have cholesterol, you know? So, you know, but is that going to be good for you? <laughs> So it's, uh, you know, arsenic doesn't have, you know, cholesterol either, you know? So, um, that's, that, that was the basis. That was, that was the entire basis of the well, argument. It's like, it's like when someone says, oh, I'm, I it's organic. So I'm eating it. I'm like, well, right. the cow dung over there is probably organic. Are you going to eat that just because it's organic? Yeah. Like that doesn't mean anything necessarily. Hmm. Well, you will, but, but yeah, but, and, you know, I remember talking about that stuff from, you know, professor Ames back in, you know, 1989, he showed that, you know, organic means nothing because the plant itself is more harmful than the pesticides, you know, it's a, it's a drop in the bucket. So even if, it, even if something is actually organic, you grow it in your own garden and you, and you don't use any sort of added chemicals or, or whatever, then that plant is still bad. You know, yeah. it's still, it's almost as, as bad. And, as I, and I know, I know that I'm going to have people in my audience that are stressing out right now because they're vegetarian and they're vegan. And this is probably like blowing their minds. It's probably creating some cognitive dissonance and it's totally to be expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing, like, this is why I wanted to bring you on the show is because I feel like in this age that we're in the age of information and how everything is being mis construed or misrepresented. There's just so many things that are, uh, really there's a lot of deception happening in the the dispersion of all of the information that we're receiving that I think it's important that the, I'm, I want my audience to know I'm not doing this show because if you're vegan or vegetarian, I'm telling you, you shouldn't do it. It's your body. It's your life. You know, you do what you want. But I think at the end of the day, we need to have all of the data and information that, you know, to understand why is this all happening? Why have I been guided to more plant-based or all of this? And, you know, speaking of that, I think one of the, when we talk about emotional manipulation, 
I know that a lot of vegetarians or vegans do it because they're of animal cruelty or animal just don't want to be killing another life form. But I don't understand that mentality because you're killing a plant, which clearly is trying to defend itself and releasing yeah. a lot of toxins. And I think that everything has a consciousness. And so it's kind of like a weird, twisted um I don't know how, what even to, to call that, but it's just the way of thinking to justify why you're doing something. What do you, where do you see this perpetuation of making every human feel bad for eating another life? You know, yeah. like a, something with eyes, let's just say, okay. Something with eyeballs or, you know, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, and, and that's the thing, you know, we, we are heterotrophs, you know, all animals are heterotrophs. That means we have to eat something else that's alive in order to live. You know, that's just, that's just the nature of the, our kingdom of, of life, you know, unfortunately. Uh, and then that is unfortunate. I mean, I, I think it would be really nice if we didn't have to do that, but, but we do. And, um, you know, there, there's no free lunch, you know, like you, you, you don't want to kill an animal that that's the direct sort of Results. Oh, I don't want to kill that animal and eat that animal. So I'm going to eat this plant over here. Okay. But there, there are indirect costs of eating that plant because, you know, if just to grow a, a, you know, a crop of something, you necessarily have to destroy an entire ecosystem. You have yeah. to kill every plant and animal in that area and then just grow one crop. You're tilling the soil, you're, um, you know, if it rains or if it blows, you actually blow off topsoil. We're, we're losing 27 billion tons of topsoil every year. Okay. That's an area the size of Kentucky every yeah. year of topsoil. That's a limited resource. It takes, it takes 500 years to grow half an inch of topsoil. Okay. We're losing 27 billion tons a year. So that's, that's very devastating to the environment. You also are going to be tilling up a bunch of snakes and, and mice and rats and birds. You're going to be putting down poisons. You're going to be shooting, you know, deer and hog and, other sorts of you know, kangaroos, all these sorts of different animals that come in, try to eat your crops. Um, it was calculated in a study done in Australia that to grow one pound of uh, animal-based or sorry, plant-based protein, it takes, uh, you have to kill 25 times the number of sentient animals that wow. you do to grow one pound of animal-based protein. And if you further realize that the bioavailability is not equal between plant and animal nutrition, that there's only a very small percentage of the protein that's available, that, that's uh, in, in plant protein is actually available. You know, they, you know, plants make different toxins to screw you up. One of those things are, are, are called protease inhibitors that block your pancreas enzymes from breaking down protein so that you can absorb these amino acids, you know, wheat and soy, uh, you know, have very strong ones. So if you're eating wheat and soy, even if you're eating meat with it, you're not going to absorb nearly as much, you know? Okay. Yeah. And then like, you know, you look at the amount of, of protein in, in wheat and they're like, Oh yeah, this has you know, a decent amount of protein. Well, 80% of that protein is gluten and gluten is not bioavailable at all. So we don't get any protein from that. So 80% right off the top is, is gone. And then you have, you know, different issues. So if you calculate how much you're actually getting in your body, that's usable protein, you know, it's, it's going to be very different. It's going to be, you know, the amount of animals you'll have to kill is probably in the hundreds at that point. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing too, like, like you said, you know, plants are living organisms, you know, they, they actually 
are, you know, they're alive and they want to stay alive. You know, there have been plenty of studies that actually show that plants have a nervous system. They feel and respond to pain. They actually scream. When you start cutting them down, you start, start picking them. They'll actually send off chemical signals and vibrations to the other plants around them. And the other plants will react and respond and start making more defense chemicals to protect themselves specifically. Oh. So specifically, so if a specific, like a caterpillar starts eating, a, eating a leaf, it will send off a signal to the other, other plants around there that, Hey, this caterpillar is eating me. And they'll start uh, um, bringing up the amount of poison specific to that caterpillar. And if something else starts chewing on it, It'll, it'll send off another signal. Interesting. I didn't know that. Now I know that there's, there was, um, I don't know if it was a book or a documentary, the secret life of plants. Is this one of the, I don't, have you heard of it? Came out in the nineties, I think. Mm, sounds familiar. I haven't, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Though. And they, they, there was a guy, he, he tested, um, he had some sort of device that would mm -hmm. test the, uh, you know, the response of plants. And when you would try to cut one down and then you know, the, and, and it would just go off the charts. It would just start like freaking out. And yeah. then um, if you actually spoke to the plant and let it know, mm -hmm. like, this is what I'm going to do and go in gently, it actually, it would still not be like calm, but it was a lot calmer than if you just went in there. So I thought that was really interesting, which kind of, you know, this podcast is spiritually based. And so I, I believe that your intention and how you interact with anything is so important. I think that's why we want to raise our animals humanely before we, you know, kill them and eat them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think that's really important. And I, and I think, and I think that has to be said too, because I think there's a misperception that people who eat meat do, don't care about the animal's life. It's not the case at all. No, no, I, I, no, I think you do. And, and, you know, even, even, you know, we have a, we have a social contract with, with animals that we keep, you know, we, we protect them, we keep them from harm, we heal them when they're sick and, and we give them a very, you know, as, as quick and merciful a death as possible. You know, there's no, there's no nice way to kill something, you know, but we are the ways that we have now in the Western world are as near instant as has ever been able to uh, come about. It's, I mean, it's that quick you know, and is it nice? No, of course it's not. It's, you know, it's death, you know, but you know, you look at these animals in the wild, they're getting literally torn apart, eaten alive. You know, chimpanzees will, will tear other chimpanzees apart alive and eat them alive. Um, it's really brutal. You know, nature is brutal. Uh, this is, is, uh, you know, making it much, much less. So, so you give this animal a good life, you protect it, you stop it from being ripped to pieces, you know, by predators and eaten alive, you heal it when it's sick, you help it when it's, when it's in trouble. And then you give this, it, it's a, a clean death. And, and, and that's, you have to, you know what I mean? And that, that's, that's the deal, you know, you, you protect them and, you know, they, you know, uh, you, you feed them and then they feed you. And that, that's how that works. But if you break that social contract, you know, we have a lot of laws that, that will really come down on people for, for animal cruelty and mistreatment. And I, I fully agree with those. Mm -hmm. you, know, you should absolutely not be, you know, breaking your side of the deal on this. I'm also a big proponent of older cows and older animals. First of all, they just taste better. And also, you know, they have a, a nicer, longer life. And so I think that's a good thing too. Um, you know, it's, um, what was I going to say? Um, sorry, I sort of lost my train of thought, but, um, no, yeah, yeah, we were just talking about um, the, oh, no, I've lost the yeah. track. Well, okay, 
speaking of, tell me, like, what do you eat? Like, what's your normal um, diet, to, like your daily diet? Like, what does what a normal day look like for you eating wise? Uh, yeah, so, you know, I often would just eat like once a day. So, you know, I'll, I'll usually have like a big, you know, fatty meat meal towards the end of the day. I like, you know, I like training fasted. I like, you know, you know, playing fast and performing, you know, on an empty stomach. I've always felt better that way. I've always felt, you know, more energy um, because, you know, you're in that, you know, you know, sort of fight flight and, and kill sort of, uh, metabolism, you, yeah. know, you need to expend energy in order to go and get energy. And then, you know, once you have it and you fill your body up, your body goes, okay, rest and digest, shut everything down, you know, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, just save energy because you have to be very conservative. You have to be very efficient with your energy consumption because, you know, in the wild, like you, 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 you may, you know, life and death can be a very slim margin in calories. And so if you're not using these things very, very carefully, then you're, you're just going to die, you know? And so it's, um, all animals have, you know, all the ones that have made it through the gauntlet of evolution are all very, very tightly controlled. And so when I eat like a big meal, I just, I'm just more lethargic. I'm very sleepy. I just want to just go and take a nap. And so I find that that just works better for me if I eat later in the day. Some people are different. Some people, you know, like eating earlier and that works better for them. And that's great. Uh, for me, I certainly like working out before I eat. I always feel better when I do that. But when I eat, I, I just eat the same thing. I just eat meat, you know, so I'll eat like a, you know, big steak, like big ribeye or a couple of New Yorks. And if they're a bit more lean, then I'll, I'll melt butter onto them because I want, I want a higher fat content. And I just eat until I'm full. I go by taste. So if it, you know, when your body wants these nutrients, it will just taste better. And this is why you enjoy every meal that you have by definition, because if you're not enjoying it, it means you're not hungry and you really should mm. eat, you know, and some people don't realize that because you have to relearn your hunger signals. It's very different on a carnivore diet when you're not eating carbohydrates. And so they can easily undereat because you're not really feeling hungry in the traditional sense. Uh, and then they, or if people are on the other side of the, of the spectrum and they they're used to eating very large portions and, you know, they have, you know, extra, extra weight, you know, maybe the body's telling them, Ooh, actually we don't want that much. And so you start eating, it tastes good at first. And then you get halfway through and it tastes horrible. And they, and they tell me, Oh, I have to force feed myself. It takes me two hours to finish a meal. It's like, no, no, no you were done two hours ago. Your body wanted you to stop then. And, and so it was sending you these signals, stop eating. This is going to mm -hmm. be unpleasant. And so when I, when I eat, I, I try to make as I, I try to make more than I think I'm going to want so that I can get to that point. So I can fill in all the cracks in the corners on how much my body wants. And when I start eating, it tastes amazing. And, and it's just the best thing I've ever had. And then it slowly starts tasting less and less amazing. And okay. eventually gets to the point where I'm like, you know, I'm really not enjoying this anymore. And so I just naturally stop. And so oh, that's yeah. where I try to get to. And if I do that and there's enough fat content, it generally only have to eat once a day. If I'm working out heavily um, and my body wants more energy, then it'll be twice. Okay. So, okay. That, that was going to be my next question. Like how often are you eating a day? And so, cause I've heard this before, like some, a lot of people who are on the carnivore diet may only eat once a day. And mm. um tell me why that's not bad for you. Like, um, because there's some people who would think, Oh, well, like then you're, would, does that going to affect your metabolism, all the kind of stuff, you know? So can you just go into, mm -hmm. um, like, I guess the counter arguments to that. Yeah. Well, you know, when you, when you're eating high density nutrition, you don't to eat as much or as often, you know, you're getting everything you need 
right then and there, you know, there's, there's a ton more calories and nutrition in fat. There's essential fatty acids, there's essential, you know, fat soluble vitamins. And, um, there's also, you know, nine calories per gram, you know, as opposed to four, you know, so it's, it's more, it's more densely nutritious. It's more densely, uh, packed with, with, uh, calories, which is why we've been told don't eat it. You know, you're going to get fat or whatever. There's so many calories. No, no, no. These are the calories you want. Your body wants these things and it will perfectly regulate it. If you're not eating carbs because carbohydrates, you know, derange your metabolism and they derange your, your hunger signals. And so you end up overeating. Um, so, you know, look at the wild, uh, you look in, in the wild, you know, animals that, uh, or, or eating other animals, other carnivores and things like that. They're not eating three, four times a day, you know, you know, they're, they're eating, you know, maybe once a week, you know, for the bigger animals taking down large game, you know, maybe, you know, birds are just, you know, going after worms and, and, and bugs all the time, but you know, these are, these are small bites, you know, um, hunters, predators in the wild, that are taking down big game. They'll, you know, like a, like a cougar will take down like, you know, one deer a week you know, and that, that's how much they need. They need to sort of average out one deer a week and that'll be good. So they're not eating for several days. You know, you look at like, you know, the native Americans who are just eating, eating meat. They didn't, they didn't necessarily eat every day. The Maasai as well in Africa today, um, you know, the Inuit, you know, they're, they're hunting seals, you know, they don't, they don't have to eat every single day. You know, Mongol, uh, you know, Genghis Khan, the Mongol horde, you know, they were well known for just eating horse meat, drinking horse blood. They would go five days to be, you know, marching, riding, fighting, for five days. And then they'd like feast on 10 pounds of horse meat and then they go on with their lives. And so it's, it's actually an aberration to be eating as often as we are. And the reason we're eating so often is because we're eating carbohydrates and sugar generally, and that's screwing with your, your hunger signals. And, and your brain is thinking you're starving to death when you're really not. And, and it says, you got to eat, you got to eat, you got to eat. And so people are overeating all the time. They're always hungry. I'm not hungry. You know, I'm not, I'm not fasting. You know, people talk about, oh, we're doing intermittent fasting. I'm not actually, because I'm not, I'm not depriving myself of food when my body's asking for it. I'm just not hungry. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And it happens to be that most, most of the time I just eat once a day, but I'm only hungry once a day, you know? And so when I'm hungry, I eat meat. And if I eat until I'm full, it's generally, I only need to eat once a day. Now, if I'm, if I'm eating more lean meat, I'll be more hungry because I'm not getting as many calories. I'm not getting as much nutrition. And so I will just have to eat more pounds of meat. And so I've only got a certain amount of room in my stomach. And so I'll have to eat more often during the day, or if I'm I'm working out, I'm expanding musculature and, and, and put on some weight, then I'll, I'll generally eat twice as much of that. So I'll have, you know, a big meal in the middle of the day or in the morning, and then I'll have it at night as well. And then, you know, after I work out, then, you know, I might have this, you know, massive steak at night and feel full and feel great. Then wake up in the morning and go like, no, I want to do that again, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and when I do that, you know, and I actually, you know, maybe able to get that nutrition, uh, that my body requires, you know, I, st- I stack on weight, like a, like a crazy person. Like it's, it's ridiculous. You know, when, when, uh, COVID was on that, all the, the gyms were closed, Yeah. you know, I sort of like trimmed down. I, I sort of maintained around 210 pounds and, um, you know, very, very lean, but I, you know, still very muscular. Uh, but it's, it's pretty light for me, you know, honestly. Um, and, um, when, the gyms reopen. I was just like, right, I'm just getting back into this. I'm just going to town on this. And I'm going to do you know, my normal, like lifting schedule when I was, when I was a professional athlete. 
And, you know, I went, you know, I was going four days a week, every week and, you know, for an you know hour to nine uh, to 90 minutes. And, uh, which is, you know, I normally work out more, but that was how much time I had after five weeks, I was 235, you know, so I stacked wow. on 25 pounds of muscle. Now, you know, some of that's just going to, you know, it, 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 it's easier to, to get weight back on if you've already had it, you know, yeah. like my, my lean mass playing weight as a, as a professional rugby player was like 245 and like, you know, off season, like I'd, I'd go up to like 275 and like, I'd be like very big. I'd still have a six pack, but I definitely have extra, you know, and how tall are you? Six, three. Okay. You so know. you got your big guy. Yeah. And then like, you know, during the season, I would just lean down into like a, you know, a very solid, 245. And so, you know, just not working out for, you know, a year and a half, you know, I just sort of just slowly just got a bit, bit lighter and lighter and lighter and just sort of stabilized around 210. And then, you know, when I was lifting weights and, and pushing myself right back up. So, you know, it's not, it's not like it's, this is a new way. I've never done this before. And I just, you know, I, my, you know, I have muscle memory and my body knows where, yeah. where it's been and, and knows where it's going, but I also just, you know, push myself very, very hard. And I, and I always work, to muscle fatigue. And I do, you know, now that I'm on a carnivore diet, I can just go much harder. I can go for much longer. I don't get sore. I don't like, I don't get sore anymore. It doesn't matter how hard I work out. I don't get sore. Really? Even when you're upping your weights and you're like pushing more. No. Wow. That's, you know, I, so since like seeing, like finding you and um, listening to some of your interviews and, and following your YouTube channel and your podcast, I, I started implementing a lot more um, red meat. I started like just eating steaks and I haven't gone like yeah. full carnivore or anything like that. I don't know if I can, cause I, I there's like, I love wine. I really do. Yeah. I love <laughs> wine, <laughs> but um, I think I can get pretty close to it. And so I've noticed though, like when I started eating more steaks, uh, one, uh, well, I mean, it's like the best meal ever. Having a steak is yeah. like the best meal, but I, I've been able to up a lot, all my weights at the gym. So without even batting an eyelash, like I was like, oh, why did I think this was going to be hard? Like now it's like, it feels yeah. a lot easier. So I definitely have noticed that. Um, can you talk about the digestion of meat versus fiber and like how we're about, I'm, I know this is like, might be too TMI, but like, how are the bowel movements different from like a carnivore diet versus something that's got like carbohydrates and more plant-based? Yeah. Well, I mean, you just think about fundamentally, what is our digestion supposed to do? It's supposed to break down and absorb nutrients. Okay. So anything that, that comes out in waste is, is just that it's waste. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's something that your body couldn't use didn't need, you know, it's not like urine where your body's sort of filtering out, you know, different things and trying to excrete them. Like these were, these were things that you put in your mouth. They, they weren't like expelled by your body, you know? So the only things that come out of what went in your mouth. And so those were things that your body couldn't do anything with and, and wanted to, wanted to eliminate. So when you're eating your natural diet, you should actually be absorbing quite a lot of that. Um, you know, you know, when we're eating meat and we're not eating fiber, we absorb around 98% of the meat that we eat. If you take out the gristle and you're just eating just the fat isolated with just the muscle meat isolated, you will, you will get basically hundred percent of that will, will, will be absorbed. What do you mean? So um, if you eat the, the fat separately and then the meat separately, like that allows for full absorption. Yeah. So if you, if you just get, get rid of the gristle, like usually there's like that gristle, that tough connective tissue between the fat layer and the, and the meat layer. And so if you separate that out and you just eat the soft fat and you just eat the soft meat, 
you'll absorb 100% of that. Okay. And that's, and that's what like a Salisbury steak is. Have you ever, you ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, um, it was named after Dr. J. H. Salisbury, who, you know, was a, a doctor in the 1800s and he did a 30 year research project into the optimal nutrition for human beings. And he found that people that were on a carnivore diet, pure meat and water were reversing diseases such as Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, rheumatoid arthritis, gout, tuberculosis. They were recovering from major illnesses much easier. And so 150 years ago, you know, we were curing rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's and gout with a carnivore diet and it worked. And there's, and there's, and there's, it's well-documented that it worked. He was dealing with a lot of people. I mean, it was a hundred years before we had any medications that would help, you know, Crohn's and UC. So these people were in a horrible mess. I mean, they were, you know, going to the bathroom 20, 30 times a day, just bloody diarrhea, just an mm-hmm. absolute agony. And so he needed to find something that they could eat just meat, but that they had no elimination. You know, they really need to needed to rest their bowels because they were in so much pain and distress. And so he had this technique of how you grind meat to sort of eliminate the, um, sort of filter out the gristle. So you just got sort of the meat and the fat and then you just, you know, add some butter to that and that you know, would get full absorption. So, so we know that, and we know that since the 1800s that you, you, you're going to absorb everything. We also know that, uh, you know, from, from studies done with people with like stomas that, you know, this is like a, you know, if you have damage to the bowel, they'll have this bag that come out on their abdomen and their, the, the, the feces will, will go into that bag. People that just eat meat have nearly nothing coming out of those bags. Okay. People who eat plants, it's just filling up all the time because you can't break down fiber. You yeah. can't, you're not able to do that. And so why are we eating something that we, we absolutely cannot break down, you know, and, 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 then, and then argue that that's actually a good thing, you know? And, and, you know, the silly thing comes when people say, oh, we're actually really, really can't break down meat properly. And well, well, wouldn't that just be the same thing as fiber then? And you just like go through <laughs> and that'll be, that's great. Right. And that's the whole reason we eat fibers because we can't break it down. That was, that was the argument. We can't break it down. So our, our stomachs have, or our, our intestines have something to work on some, some mass to push through. And so we could push this through faster. So, um, obviously that's wrong. You know, uh, we, we absorb, you know, basically every ounce of meat that we eat, you cannot break down fiber. And that, and that's, that's clear anatomical and biological physiological evidence that we are not herbivores. We should not be eating fibrous plants because all animals that eat fibrous plants by nature can break down fiber to a certain extent. We cannot do that. We had the ability millions of years ago, but now we have a little vestigial organ called a cecum or sorry, called an appendix, which used to be a four foot long cecum, which is where fiber would pack into and break down into short chain fatty acids. So now we don't have that because we haven't been eating fibrous plants for millions upon millions upon millions of years. And so now the fiber is actually just causing problems because it gets in the way. It's causes physical barrier to the enzymes trying to get to the food to break it down. And then it's a physical barrier between the broken down food and the, the borders of your, of your intestine to, to absorb. And so this stops absorption. And again, this is another argument. It's like, Oh, this is really good because it stops you from absorbing your food. So you can eat, you can eat as much as you want. You can eat. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Like, like the whole purpose of food is to absorb to, nutrients. Yeah, that's it, you know. And so, like, why why would that be an uh, you know uh, an advantage in nature to not get nutrition to get less nutrients out of what you're eating? So that, that doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, say that well, you need you need um, fiber in order to you know not get constipated, and you know uh, there's there there's arguments on either side of that, but you know the the 
fact of the matter is that it's not, you know, fiber that's necessary for this. It's actually fat. Fat is what drives your digestion. And so when we stopped eating fat in the 1980s, everyone started getting constipated. And so, you know, everyone says, oh, well, this is, this is why you should eat. Really constipation became a much more prevalent um, Mm. problem once we stopped eating fat. Yeah. 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 And that's when it happened. You know, so, so that, that's when it was a big push to eat fiber for constipation happened in the eighties. And it's just like, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just like, you know, why didn't we, why didn't we need fiber before 1986? Like, well, you know, what happened? We just, just changed as a species, you know? Um, But it, uh, it was because of the fat. And so we were eating less fat. And then people say, oh, you should eat fiber and this is, will help peristalsis. This was, this was not a thing, you know, really before that, you know? And so now there's this big argument. So the, the idea is, is that, you know, when, when, you know, the food digested food goes into your large intestine, large intestine, you know, dries it out, desiccates, it takes the water out of it. You know, it's supposed to, you're supposed, you're trying to preserve water and, and, uh, and, and suck it back in. So you know, this is just a, an efficiency thing. Our bodies are very, very efficient. And that's one of them. But when you're not eating fat, this tr- dries out into a lump of wood. And that's what, that's what fiber is. It's just wood. You know, we, they add um, sawdust to food products to increase their uh, fiber content because of course fibers fiber is an essential nutrient apparently. So apparently sawdust is an is essential nutrient. That, that's actually what people are arguing. Um, did they ever really put that in orange juice? Cause I wondered like, there was like, I don't know if there was a thing that came out where they, you know, the pulp in orange juice was actually, um, like sawdust. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know if they did that specifically, but I, it would not surprise me, you know, because the, the, you know, I, I've, um, there was something I put up on Instagram where it was like just this list, you know, of, um, of all these different foods that, uh, that had it. And, you know, I, I can take a look and see if orange juice was in there. It actually sounds, sounds about right. But you know, there's all these things that you just, you just would like ice cream, you know, like, why are you putting sawdust in ice cream? You monster, oh. you know? And, um, cause I remember when I was a kid, cause I've, I've been interested in health since I was like a teenager. And so I remember when my dad would pull out like the orange juice and they always get it with the pulp. And I'm like, no, I don't want your sawdust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's I remember great. saying that as a kid. So I'm wondering if that was true. Well, you know, but it's the same thing though. It's the same chemical cellulose, you know? Okay. Yeah. So it's basically the same thing. It is, it is sawdust and it does the same, same thing in the end. And, um, but yeah, so, you know, when, when you're eating all this, this, this fiber, you know, and that dries out, that actually turns into a block of wood and you have these, you get these bowel obstructions, you know, from the thing that was supposed to alleviate bowel obstructions. Okay. Um, when you eat enough fat, your body will absorb a certain amount and then it, it really can't absorb more than that. And so there'll be an excess, uh, excess, you know, overflow mm-hmm. of, uh, of fat. And that will sort of go into waste. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what actually keeps your stool soft. So that'll keep, keep it soft. So you, you always know how much fat you're getting uh, by whether or not you're constipated. If you're just eating meat and water, if you're eating other things, such as, you know, drinking coffee or using, uh, artificial sweeteners that can all, all cause loose stools. But if you're getting constipated on a, on a just meat and water diet, it means you're not getting enough fat because your body's absorbing every ounce of fat and there's no excess. Okay. okay. So you haven't really topped off how much fat your body wants. Okay. Because you can only, you can only absorb fat really with, with bile, you know, bile emulsifies fat and that, and that's how you absorb it. Um, you can, you can sort of absorb a bit after that, but, but, you know, really not that much. And so the rest of it 
will go out in your stools. And so I think of the amount of bile that your body has as the amount of fat that your body wants. This is making this bile for the express purpose of absorbing fat. And, you know, then you, you get all the fat that you want, you know, from all the bile, and then there's just a bit extra. And so if you're, you know, dry and hard, you're not getting enough because there's no excess. If it's just a nice soft consistency, that means you're getting an, you know, just enough and a little bit extra so that your stools are soft. If your stools are very loose and you're not, you know, drinking coffee or using artificial sweeteners, then that just means there's a lot more, uh, you know, fat than your body can absorb you know? And so it just comes out a little bit okay. more rapidly. Okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh, that's really helpful to know. So then it sounds to me like if anyone is doing a carnivore diet, they're probably having a lot less bowel movements. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, you, you'll, you, you know, you'll be really excreting about 2% of the waste, you know? Okay. And so, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be going far less often and it's going to be far lower volumes, you know? So you, yeah. you know, some people will go, you know, once or twice a week and it's, and it's very, very small, you know? Really? So if, so that's not a form of constipation. That's just a form. Like there's just no ways to excrete. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. You're, you're absorbing everything. So the definition of constipation is, is the consistency and dryness of, uh, of the stool. Well, really softness because, you know, you know, oil repels water. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's always dry. It's very dry. That's very dry. And so, yeah, I I was going to say, like, I remember as a kid, my dad used to take us to the steakhouse and th- that was back in the day when they used to put those little pats of butter on like those square little things. And I used to, as a kid, just sit there and like lick the butter off of the paper nice. before I had my steak. Cause I just, I, I don't know. I just love butter. And, um, people, I remember my mom used to like, Nicole, you're going to get fat. <laughs> I'm like, I love butter. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't care. So I must've like somehow intuitively known that that yeah. was actually good for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, think, think about that though. I mean, your kids are much more in tune with their, their, you know, genetic heritage. And uh, this is why kids hate vegetables and really like bacon, you know? And it's just like, you're just licking butter. Like, this is so good. Your, your body is speaking to you, you know? And, and then, you know, you have bitter taste, harsh taste. You have these acquired tastes, your adult palate, all these sorts of things. You basically just worn down your natural sensibilities and senses to that. Your body's telling you like, don't eat that. I don't like that. You know, a bad taste means that your, your brain and your tongue are recognizing a harmful chemical that, that is what really? that is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your, your that... brain and tongue are sophisticated machines and that, that is what taste is designed to do. And so if you have a bad taste, that is your brain recognizing this is bad for you. Spit it out. This is why you give a kid a piece of broccoli and, just, and just spit it out because everything in his body is just like, get this yeah. out. This is poison. And you know, the fat, you know, tasting, you know, any, any chef can tell you fat is flavor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this is, this is, this is true. You know, even, even having just ground beef, if it's very lean, it's just sort of just, you know, dry cardboard, you know, it's not that, it's not that enjoyable, but if it's, if it's very fatty, it's like, man, that's, that's delicious. You know, sugar is an outlier, you know, sugar. Okay, guys, sorry. My computer just completely dropped the entire call. So I just want to get back to where we were. You were talking about sugar and um, just saying how there's um, like this misnomer with sugar when we're talking about, oh gosh, I had it right before we. Yeah, we I think we're talking about, about um, taste and like, yes. you know, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, 
you, you can mostly listen to your taste as far as, you know, what's good to eat and what's, what's bad to eat and, and how much to eat because, you know, things will stop tasting as good uh, when your body doesn't want them as much. Um, so, you know, meat and fat just naturally taste good. Kids will like it. Uh, and they will also not like vegetables. And especially, you know, like you were mentioning, I sort of seasons and spices, these strong flavors, you know, these are these defense chemicals that the plant is warning you away from. And kids will taste that and go like, mm, no, I don't like that. So they'll naturally spit it out. And so sugar is a bit of an outlier, um, but also sugar is a drug. You know, fructose is, is, uh, is addictive just in the same way as cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamines, like actually, and there have been uh, MRI studies showing that it kills the same areas of your brain uh, as cocaine, heroin, and meth by causing a dopamine response uh, and that dopamine exciting things until they just sort of burn out. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, so this is, this is the plant's way of getting an animal addicted to its fruit and sort of moving its product. And, and you know, that benefits the plant. It doesn't benefit us. It, it does give us a, a quick hit of energy that we recognize as this is safe, quick hit of energy um, because we don't really know of any plants that contain fructose that are like acutely poisonous to us. They, they'll like kill us that day, but the fructose itself. So are you saying that the term. fruit is to steer you away from the actual plant itself? No, no, it's, um, you know, it, it is, well, fruit, is, is, you know, you know, the plant wants something to eat fruit. Now people say like, well, it, it's a fruit. So, so the plant wants you to eat fruit. Well, no, it wants something to eat the fruit, you know, just like the cassowary bird. It wants a cassowary bird to eat it, but it doesn't want other things to eat it because that will spread oh. the seed. So, so most fruits are actually very poisonous. You know, think about, you know, all the red berries out there, you know, indigenous tribes, like don't eat the red berries. Like you're, you're out there foraging, never eat red berries. <laughs> and <clears throat> And that's because these things are poisonous. So, you know, so most fruits are actually still poisonous as well. Um, the ones with fructose, we've recognized, we, we, we don't know of any of these that will just kill you dead. Like, you know, like the, the, the fruit of a, of a, of a bird that they, of the, you know, the tree that like a cassowary bird eats, you know, probably not going to have any fructose in there. So we're not going to recognize that as safe. It's going to be bitter. We're going to be, ugh, don't want that. But something that, that we recognize is like sweet with fructose, you know, we recognize that, that that's a bit safe. That's not going to have these, these new dangerous poisons that's, that are going to be catastrophic to us uh, and kill us that day. But, um, you know, the fructose will cause harm, serious harm over time. And it actually breaks down into our body uh, by our liver in the same way as alcohol, into the same products as alcohol. Mm -hmm. So we get the same diseases, fatty liver disease, cirrhosis, diabetes, heart disease, and it's even implicated in cancer and uh, Alzheimer's. So it's really bad for you long-term, but it gives us a quick hit of energy. You know, we can survive, we can get on to get our kill and, uh, and, and survive another day. Um, so that's a bit of an outlier, but other than that, you can, you can be fairly guided by, by your taste or really of the taste of a, of a toddler, you know, if a toddler is not going to eat it, you know, like a, like broccoli or something like that, like you know, you probably shouldn't either. It's strong spices. <laughs> we may be, you know, we may yeah. be used to this flavor and not mind it too much anymore. But I, I think of it more of like, you know, Stockholm syndrome, like we've just gotten, you know, broken down and like, you know, we've fallen in love with our abusers, you know, just years and years and years of our parents saying, you have to eat this, you have to eat this, this is good for you. And then society telling us that again for decades. And we're just, you know, finding the best options, you know, for, you know, to eat plants and plant-based because we're told that this is, this is really the healthiest way. And, and so, you know, we, we just sort of build up this, you know, this sort of mindset that you know, we like this thing that actually we probably don't. And so I think of it as like Stockholm syndrome, where we sort of fall in love with our abuser and, you know, like someone saying, you know, like, it's like, Oh, you know, I like it when they hit me. It's like, no, yeah. you don't. like, stop that. You know, yeah. like you're, this is, this is bad. 
And so, you know, that's the thing, you know, if, you know, if your, your infant who's just, you know, eating solid foods, if they're like eyes light up, probably good for you meat. Right. And then, you know, vegetables, if they're like, get that thing the hell away from me, you know, it's probably, it's probably bad. There are, there's wiggle room. You can make things and cook things and fry things and do things to them to make them more palatable. But, you know, in it's raw form, you know, potatoes taste horrible. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you, you cook them in oil, your brain recognizes, ooh, oil, that's good for me. You know, fat, that's good for me. Oh, so it's actually liking the fat, not the potato. Yeah, exactly. And also it's, it's going to denature some of these poisons as well. So your brain doesn't quite recognize them. This is why like a baked oh, okay. potato is just, or a boiled potato is just sort of bland. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't taste like anything, you know, your brain's just like, mm, I don't know what this is, you know? Um, and that's because it's been denatured a bit but that it can still actually cause harm. You know, just cooking, it doesn't make it safe. It, mm-hmm. it, some things like cooking lectins and boiling them makes it more safe. You know, there are certain beans that have certain lectins that will kill you if you eat, you know, even like five, 10 beans. And, um, you know, so you have to boil, you have to soak them in water, boil them for at least 10 minutes, and this will mitigate that. And, then, and when we do this with all sorts of different plants that we process, you know, cassava root is the third most, uh, you know, third highest uh, calorie source in uh, the third world country, in third world countries. Yep. And it is deadly poisonous because of all the uh, uh, cyanide in it. Cyanide. Oh my gosh, really? But, yeah. Oh, I started yeah. eating all these cassava root dumb oh, no. uh, chips like a while ago. And I was like, uh, oh, these are really yummy. <laughs> Oh no. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, they're going to be processed, right. And there's certain ways of processing it to, you know, to make that. So you're not really getting all the uh, a fatal dose of cyanide, yeah. but even, even low levels of cyanide, you know, long-term will screw your thyroid and, um, and, and cause neurological impairment. So, you know, that means, you know, we're talking about hormones, we're talking about, you know, all these different ways your body can work meat is going to help that meat's going to and fat is going to get, is going to give you the nutrients that you need to to run properly but eliminating out the plants is just as important if not more important because this is going to eliminate out the the toxic elements that are going to screw with you so you know you like cyanide you know it's low grade cyanide poisoning you're going to screw your thyroid major hormone that's a yeah. major major hormone it's going to cause neurological impairment you know, you're eating plants that have protease inhibitors. It's going to stop you from absorbing protein. It has fiber. It's going to get in the way of actually absorbing food. There are photosensitizers that, that cause you to be more sensitive to sunlight. You know, there's thing called celery dermatitis, which, you know, people that eat a lot of celery or, you know, handle celery, pick celery, and they get scorched in the sun. They have to wear gloves and hats and, and long sleeve shirts. And they, and, and because if they don't, they just get absolutely just scorched. And then, you know, the, the oils on, on the skin of limes, you handle those that can soak in your, into your skin and make you very sensitive to light. And there've been reported cases of people getting second degree burns just from being in exposed to sun when they've been exposed to the oil from limes actually happened to my little brother. We didn't know it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. When we were, when we were kids, he was playing around the lime tree and he was doing that. And then he just had these red welts all over him. And, um, and we thought it was like an allergic reaction. I'm like, okay, keep that kid the hell away from the lime tree. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, you know, but then he's, he's eaten lime since then. I was like, you know, isn't that going to kill you? He's like, yeah, I don't know. You know, like, yeah, I was not so, but, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, and so, you know, that, that is, you know, looking back on that, I'm like, you know, that that's likely what that was. And, you know, and, and there, there are so many others. I mean, there's things that are just, just cause serious toxicities, you know, mentioned like hemlock earlier you know, hemlock 
will just kill you. The way it does that is it is it is it uh, blocks uh, GABA in your brain. GABA is is a is a drug that well, it's a neurotransmitter that sort of dampens down the signals in in your neurons. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's it's mm-hmm. there's excitatory um, signals and then you know uh, calming signals, and so you know when we you know, give like benzodiazepines or different sort of seizure medications, this sort of acts on the GABA receptors to calm things down. This gets people out of seizures. So this is a GABA receptor antagonist. So it blocks that receptor. So GABA cannot work on this and benzos cannot work on this. You know, seizure medications cannot work on this receptor anymore. And so your, your neurons get overexcited and they start to go, uh, you know, just flare up and that's called, you know, a seizure and it cannot be stopped. And so you die from seizures within two minutes, you know? So there are these crazy, crazy toxins, you know, that exist in plants. I mean, just tens of thousands of them, you know, and a a lot of them, you know, we we've studied lectins, lectins are horrible. Lectins usually don't get in your body, but you get leaky gut from you generally from eating things like gluten. Gluten can cause actual Mm. disruption of the, the uh, enterocytes in your intestines, so it actually pulls them apart. Normally have these tight junctions are stuck together like that. So you, you actually can't fit something through. It has to go through the cell. The cell has to test is the gatekeeper and we'll let it through or not. Now this is just flapping loose. Things can actually physically pass through in between these cells. And so, you know, bacteria can get through and cause all sorts of problems. Lectins can get through and cause all sorts of problems. Lectins, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of lectins. The one from, from plants are pretty bad. There are lectins in meat, but they're a different kind. And uh, they, they do all sorts of different things The you know, they can actually bind onto insulin receptors. So even if someone's keto and they're eating things that contain lectins, those lectins can bind on and, and give an insulin like response and they'll, it'll stall their weight loss. It'll screw up. They don't pop them out of ketosis. They'll do all these sorts of things. And um, it's also, you know, because this is a, this is a foreign, sort of molecule, your body can actually attack it and make antibodies towards it, right? Some of these lectins and some people who, who are genetically susceptible, they have uh, similar looking molecules on the different cells in their body. This is called molecular mimicry where the antibodies for the lectins or whatever look kind of like this other one. And so those antibodies just sort of work on that and, and it attacks that part of your body as well. And so that's where autoimmune issues come from. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that was one of one of the causes of autoimmune issues. And um, when you eliminate out the lectins, you know, and other sorts of things that your body's doing this to, your body stops attacking the lectins, your body stops making antibodies towards those lectins. And those antibodies aren't there to then go and attack your body. And so people's autoimmune issues just go away. They just go away. I have yet to see someone with an autoimmune issue whatever autoimmune issue really when they go carnivore yeah yeah within like three months so rheumatoid arthritis that's pretty fast yeah 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 so i've had i've had patients um personally and i've also had a number of people i mean literally hundreds of people contact me uh and and message me and especially when i I did a a a video on autoimmune issues and crohn's and ulcerative colitis i mean there's just hundreds of people were like like yeah this is this is what happened to me i went carnivore within a couple weeks i stopped having flare-ups you know my i went from having 20 bowel motions a day down to two i came off my medications and three months later i had a biopsy uh of my intestine found no sign of inflammation or disease wow I've, I, there, I have not seen a single departure from that. Every single one has done that. Now that's anecdotal. That's, that's what I'm seeing, but there are actual studies, you know, we have studies for 
Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, showing that going on an elemental diet, basically just giving the nutrients, the macros and micros that you need in sort of a, like a, just a, you know, juice or whatever, um, that that has as a better treatment for a flare up of Crohn's or ulcerative colitis than steroids. Okay. And that when people are on even like a fasting mimicking diet, mm-hmm. right. Which is just a keto diet. Yeah. Right. That that on average keeps them in remission for 51 weeks. Okay. So a week under a year, right. Contrasted with, you know, the control group that was just eating, you know, carbs and fiber stayed in, in remission on average zero weeks. Okay. A mm. little bit of a difference. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you know, we already have studies showing all of this and, you know, the Harvard study with you know, over 2000, um, you know, people, you know, they, they're, they're self-reported, you know, sort of, you know, these were my results. This, this was my blah, blah, blah. And so we go, oh, well, that's not really like an objective control trial and all that sort of stuff. You have to understand that's all nutritional sciences, all nutritional sciences are surveys, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, if someone's, if someone's quoting like some nutritional science from whatever, it's no better than that Harvard study okay. because okay. it's, it's all just surveys and nonsense. I mean, there, there are some that are, are actual experiments that they're run. Most of it is, is nutritional epidemiology and surveys, you know? So, th- so this is not exactly substandard, uh, you know, uh, in, in the nutritional world, it's actually, you know, right there with it. And it's actually, you know, over 2000 people. So it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very well-powered study. Everyone improved. I'm not just saying that. 100% of people improved in some way, most of them in dramatic ways, you know, like 92% of people yeah. of diabetics, like came off insulin, came off their medications and, and had significant improvements. See, and I work. have, I have a client who's, um, you know, diabetic and, uh, I do like intuitive coaching and I felt for him, I go, I feel really strongly. You've got to start eating a lot more animal protein, um, to help you and get off all of this, like the vegetables and stuff. And, um, I I'm hoping he's going to, I know he's going to watch this. So, uh, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk. But, um, I think that that, that says a lot, you know, I talked to someone recently and I was telling them, Oh, you know, I'm having you on the show. And, um, he's like, Oh yeah, my, my dad tried the carnivore diet, but it actually, I don't know if he said he got a heart attack or something. And I said, well, what else was he eating on the carnivore diet? Right. Was he just eating like meat and water and salt? And he's like, well, he was just doing meat and diet soda. And I'm like, oh my God, like, that's (laughs) the worst thing you could have done. Like, are you kidding? Like diet soda. So it's, and I think this is where a lot of the misperception comes around meat is that, you know, a lot of the, the claims around meat being bad for you is they haven't isolated it actually where it's just meat alone and not with anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a very good point. You know, I talk to a lot of people and they say, Oh, I'm going to do doing a carnivore diet. I'm not really getting the results. Maybe they're getting good results and they're losing weight and they're feeling good and they're reversing autoimmune and diabetes, but they're not losing as much weight and they're not feeling as good. They're not getting like the crazy exercise tolerance that like I would experience and others would experience. And almost always it's because they're eating a lot of other crap, usually artificial sweeteners. That's a major one. And, you know, people say, you know, there, there's, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, people that say that, you know, there's this study or that study that says that, you know, uh, artificial sweeteners don't give an insulin response, don't trigger insulin or don't screw with your blood sugar. There are just as many studies that show the opposite of that. And, mm-hmm. and I've seen in practice people who are diabetic with, you know, uh, an insulin, you know, full-time glucose monitor, they can just see what is happening when they have artificial sweeteners 
their blood sugar spikes, you know, they get, they get this response. And so, you know, you know, it, it doesn't matter what your study says. It, what matters is what actually happens in real life, you know? And so, and then this is happening with people. So, um, a lot of people think that, oh, I go carnivore. That just means I eat a lot more meat. And that, and that's certainly, that's certainly this, the basis of it. You are eating meat. That's your nutrition, but it's, it's again, just as important, if not more important, not eating all the other crap. Like that's the trick. And that's why I tell people like that, you know, that you really have to do that. And so, you know, I focus on what not to eat just as much as what to eat. And so, you know, I, my rule is no plants, no sugar, nothing artificial. And that goes for sauces, seasonings, and drinks as well. Right. And so you really just have to get down to fatty meat and water. Um, as far as, you know, having a heart attack, you know, he said, Oh, he went carnivore and he had a heart attack. Okay. Well, how long into it? Was he carnivore for 50 years? I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or was it, Oh, he, he was there for, you know, six months and then bam, you know, it's like, you know, atherosclerosis does not develop that. It's not, yeah. It doesn't happen no. overnight. No, no. So, so I mean, you, you can have, you know, a buildup of disease. And this is, this is where a lot of people come to carnivore is because they're very sick and, you know, they've gotten, you know, the peripheral vascular disease, atherosclerosis, diabetes, and heart disease. And, you know, then they go carnivore because like, you know, this isn't working. I need to, I need to do something else. They go carnivore and, you know, there's a lot of damage in that body and they, you know, they're sort of a ticking time bomb anyway. And so, you know, you can have, you can have something spark off from that. But objective measures would be something like, you know, coronary uh, artery calcium score. We don't have any uh, sort of objective standards. I, I can't remember if the Harvard study looked at this, but this is something that I think, you know, is a very, very clear next step is, uh, you know, getting people, you know, even symptomatic people with a, you know, a CAC score of whatever, and then putting them on a carnivore diet and then seeing what happens in a year. Anecdotally, I'm seeing people and Dr. Baker, Sean Baker is seeing people and Ken Berry is seeing people. I believe Ken Berry mentioned this as well, but you know, other people are mentioning that their patients with, uh, you know, coronary artery calcium score, CAC score, you know, that's up, you know, after, you know, a year or so on a carnivore diet, it comes down, you okay. know, and, and that, and that is what we're seeing. And, uh, you know, there's a Dr. Asim Mahotra. Uh, in England, he's a very, very prominent uh, and you know, famous, you know, internationally famous uh, cardiologist, wrote a book called um, uh, Statin-Free Life. And he was actually like physician to the Queen of England for a time. You know, he's a, he's a very, very prominent physician. And he's, he's, he was on my team on a panel debate on cholesterol. And we were arguing, hey, cholesterol isn't what we think. This, is, this was a con. You know, this is, we have to look at this differently. And we were, you know, debating against three uh, doctors and, and cardiologists who, you know, were of the traditional opinion and we smoked them. <laughs> I don't doubt them. it. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, and, and he shows and discusses in his book that, you know, this, this is, you know, coming from, uh, you know, it's an inflammatory process, inflammatory disease, you know, you're eating something that's going to re reduce inflammation and, and specifically is going to be reducing sugar and reducing carbohydrates. You know, you're not going to get the glycation and damage to the cholesterol in the first place that precipitate uh, this disease. And so, you know, anything that any diet that's going to reduce inflammation and, and get that down, that's going that, that can help, you know, with your CAC score as well. Carnivore diet is the ultimate version of that. You're eliminating all the crap that, that causes inflammation and causes damage in your body. So there are other things that could do it as well. And, you know, even, even a, a well-designed vegan diet could absolutely do it, but a carnivore diet is going to do a lot better. And it's going to provide the, the proper basis of nutrition, as well as eliminating out all 
of the of the plant toxins. Okay, let's just pause there for a second on the nutrition so that everyone understands. Because this is my question when I started understanding this was I I used to think that most of our nutrients and, and vitamins and minerals and all of that came from the plants. But mm-hmm. it's we can actually get everything that we need just from like eating a steak. And that will yeah. give you everything you need in your daily like yeah. okay. And here's the other thing the daily recommendations are based on probably a plant-based diet, but what you probably need a lot less when you're eating just carnivore. Is that, is that right? Me thinking that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you need a, a completely different constellation of nutrients based on what you're eating. And so, you know, you're eating different sorts of uh, plants or whatever, it actually screws with you. Like I was saying, you know, it can, it can stop absorption. It can screw with different things uh, that, that you're eating and that you're absorbing. So you actually need to eat more of these things just to get enough of them. Vitamin C is a very good example of that. You know, carbohydrates compete for binding site from the GLUT4 transporter. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, if you're eating carbohydrates, or you have high blood sugar, you know, you need a way more vitamin C because, you know, it's, it's blocking, it's getting blocked out by carbohydrates on this glute four transmitter. So you're not going to be able to get enough vitamin C if you do that. So if you're not eating carbohydrates, so normally, you know, the RDAs, which were developed by Ansel Keys, by the way, who we know is a page shill and a douche. And so we don't really <laughs> listen to anything that guy says. Yeah. Um, you know, everything that guy says, I honestly, I think you just throw out, and, you know, because everything he's done is suspect at this point. You know, his, his, his body of work should just be eliminated from the record. Um, but, you know, so, so in order to stave off scurvy, it, you know, he, he said you need 10 milligrams of, uh, of vitamin C, right? And so RDAs are usually around 90 to 120 milligrams of vitamin C. And, um, you know, but that's in the context of a mixed diet, right? When you are carnivore, you need vitamin C measured in nanograms, not milligrams. All right. So you're, you're talking like way less. Yeah. Just orders and orders and orders of magnitude, you know, like just millions and billions of times less, uh, you know, uh, vitamin C. Than you do if you're eating carbohydrates. Okay, massive, massive difference. And so I say, oh, there's not that much vitamin C in meat. That's not enough. Well, it is if you're not eating carbs, you know? And also, you know, you have to understand the mechanisms of these things. We just look, oh, we need vitamin C. We need this number of vitamin C. But what does vitamin C do in, in, in the context of scurvy? It does other things in your body too, but in the context of scurvy, you get scurvy by a misdevelopment, a misfolding of collagen. Okay. And, um, so I'm going to write something and uh, you misfolding of uh, collagen, right? And so that collagen is in this tight, you know, bound rope, right? So like, 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 um, you know, spider's webs, that's collagen. It's okay. tougher than, it's tougher than, you know, you know, uh, steel, right? So that's our, what our body's made out of, right? Our bones are made out of collagen, very tough stuff. If you, if, if you're not getting them bound properly, they're going to be loose. They're going to be weak. Your gums are going to start bleeding. Your body's just going to start breaking down. Okay. That's scurvy. It's very dangerous. You know, it's, it's, it's deadly. Okay. How does vitamin C play a role in that? Vitamin C catalyzes a reaction that hydrolyzes certain proteins. I think it's proline and lysine that now they're in the right shape so that they can bind into, into uh, collagen properly and make this really tight bind. If they aren't uh, hydrolyzed, then it's going to be a little bit, a bit loose. Okay. okay. So you need hydrolyzed, uh, these high amino acids to be hydrolyzed. Well, when you're eating a lot of meat, there's collagen in that meat. Yeah, I know. Yeah, of well, course. So you don't even so have you, to worry about it. It's that's not it. an issue. And, 
that's it. And so you're getting pre-hydrolyzed um, uh, collagen. Yeah. So you don't need to make it yourself. Or if you do, if you, you do need to make some, it's, it's very, very little. So in fact, you need a lot less because it's not competing for binary mm-hmm. size and because you don't need to make as much collagen. That was one the, the thing I, I wanted to write down there so I didn't forget. Um, I was speaking to, to Dr. Sean Baker, who's, who's done more work in this yeah. than you mm-hmm. know, anybody you know, alive, really. There've been a bunch of people before, but you know, right now, you know, this, is, this is the main guy. He was saying that, and he's, he's, he's treated and studied and documented um, over 12,000 people on a carnivore diet and seen, seen how they re- respond. So he really has a large body of knowledge on this. And he was saying that people with Ehlers-Danlos, which is a connective tissue disorder where your, your collagen is not forming properly, you get, you get hypermobile joints, oh, okay. hyperflexive, or you have like your skin, you can stretch it out. And, you know, yeah, okay. out there. That's from the collagen just being weak and loose and, and, and rubbery. Um, he was saying he was founding that people that go carnivore, not even full carnivore, but just eating a lot more meat, yeah. a lot more fatty meat, it reverses their Ehlers-Danlos. Wow. Like what the hell is that? Like, that's crazy. You know, so I'm, I'm interested to see if that would be the same for like Marfans and other, other sort of connective tissue disorders. Um, you know, but if you think about it, you know, we, we don't need vitamin C to make collagen because we're getting in collagen. This is misform development of collagen. But if you're just getting in collagen and getting these precursors, maybe your body makes those things uh, properly. I don't know the mechanism of that. It's just, but it's just a, it's a very interesting uh, observation that he's made. So it would, it, it, obviously with the collagen, um, do you find that people start to reverse their age, like physically, like it's, you can see them starting to look younger and younger when they go carnivore. Oh, I, I look younger now than five years ago when I, when I started this. <laughs> and so and how, how old are you now? Yeah, I'm 42. Okay. So, so like, all right. I'm not, I'm not a spring. No, you don't, you don't look 42 at all. You look like you're in your early thirties to mid thirties. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say like 33, 34. (laughs) Yeah. You're looking good. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, um, you know, but, but that's the thing, you know, this is, this is how we we're naturally yeah. supposed to, to age. I, you know, if I was doing this my whole life, I'm sure I'd look, you know, 10 years younger than this, you know, because, you know, I, I learned in, in genetics, um, when I was taking genetics at, at the university of Washington, that we're actually designed to live 120 years chromosomally mm-hmm. genetically. Like we have all our telomeres and everything like that set up. Like we should live 120 years on average, you know? So why are we dying in our sixties and seventies? You know, yeah, that that's yeah. literally middle age. Ah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, people say, say, say I'm middle age, you know, someone in their forties, oh, you're middle age, you're halfway to death. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm one third of the way in. I'm in, I I'm in the prime of life, you know, and that's how I feel. And yeah. so that, and that's how you should look, you know? And, um, and so people are in their forties, they're just, they're falling apart and they're dying. Usually guys too, they, they really start to lose it, you know, in their late thirties and forties, I think, because now they've got a wife, they've got kids. And they're thinking, Ooh, I gotta be, I gotta be careful of my, my heart. I gotta my, be heart healthy. And I gotta go on a low fat, you know, grain based diet with no, not a lot of meat. And all of a sudden they just start getting the high blood pressure. They start feeling crappy. They start putting on weight and, you know, they, all of a sudden they're, they're getting like, you know, atherosclerosis and they're like, Oh, but doc, you know, I'm not eating, you know, well, this is from the last 20 years of eating. Yeah. Steak. Like, <laughs> you know, and, um, and, you know, and maybe, maybe that's true, you know, but, you know, because it does take a long time for these things to develop, but at the same time, you know, this, this person was feeling great up until they stopped eating the steaks and they started eating all this other stuff. And then they started going to hell. Like, well, which imagine how bad you'd feel if you didn't do that, you know? And uh, so there's all these, there's all these, these, these were little things, but 
you know, I, I think that that that's exactly why people are breaking down and getting fatter, you know, hard, uh, you know, high blood pressure, you know, that that's almost always there, there, are, there are a few causes of, uh, of hypertension that uh, you need to investigate for and can be you know treated or reversed. But most of just, you know, just just barn door high blood pressure just comes from insulin resistance because mm-hmm. your, your, your insulin is actually vasodilator works on your, on your, um, you know, blood vessels. And, you know, if you're getting insulin resistance, then you know, it doesn't matter how high your insulin is. You're just, you're, you're, you're you know, um, vessels just aren't going to change and they just stay locked tight. And now you're, you're, you're moving and you're increasing the pressure. So you get high blood pressure. You, you have no idea why the hell that's happening. And this can manifest as uh, you know, one of the early signs uh, these high blood pressure issues and, and uh, insulin resistance is erectile dysfunction. So, you know, guys will start seeing this and they'll start having problems uh, of that nature. And it's, it's actually easy to reverse, you know, mm-hmm. because they can just, they, they go on a carnivore diet and they start normalizing their insulin, their body becomes, um, you know, insulin sensitive again, and they start, you know, reversing some atherosclerosis, something like that. All of a sudden, you know, they're, they're much more uh, able to go. And yeah. so, you know, it, it, it just has, you know, such far reaching uh, yeah. advantages. And, and, you know, and, and this is sort of coincides with when people start really just crashing in their, in their health is around that time when they get in the middle age and they go, Oh, I got to be healthy now. And, and, you know, going healthy ends up making them very unhealthy. So, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I look like a 40 year old should look, you know, and, and there are people that have been doing this much longer than I have, you know, 20 years, 25 years, you know, and, and, and you are in there, you know, uh, there's a married couple, uh, the Andersons who, uh, are, you know, the gentleman is, I think in his late sixties and the wife is in her late forties. They look like, she looks like she's in her twenties. Oh. He looks like he's in his thirties. Wow. Like it's exactly. nuts. Yeah. You know? And so, and that's how we're supposed to age, you know, like, you know, we just going back to what I was saying about living 120 years, people were pretty shocked by that, but like, that, that, that is actually what we notice. Yeah, I totally, I totally believe it because I mean, I'm 45 and I feel better than I did in my twenties, Yeah, you know? And, and so I feel like I've been able to reverse some of the aging through a lot of different things like meditation and just mm-hmm. all that. But I'm, I, I know I'm going to definitely try the carnivore diet and um, I'll, I'll document it and see like a lot of the different changes that happen. Cause I'm just, I'm curious. I want to see how my body responds to it. Uh, cause it's, I mean, listening to all the data that you've shared and all the information, it's hard to deny all of that. And it falls into alignment with a lot of stuff that I was researching in my like late teens, early twenties, when I was starting to realize the whole food industry and the medical industry was lying to us about like a lot of stuff. Do yeah. you, just before we close out, do you get a lot of slack? Like, do you catch a lot of heat, um, as an MD for, for sharing this information? Um, it, it just depends, you know, some, sometimes people are very taken aback by it and they're like, Oh my God, are you even a doctor? Like, and they just get really pissed off. That, like I would ever say anything like this. Um, you know, it just, just attacks their whole worldview, but you know, no, m- most, most people are actually very interested. You know, I think, I think it's, it's easier for me because I, you know, I'm in very good shape and I, I certainly don't look my age mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and, and I, I know what I'm talking about, you know, and yeah. I, I've debated this with people I've discussed it with people and I've taught people about it for years now. And so, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm well-practiced at it. You know, I, it's all, it's all the same arguments. They all have the same questions. They all have the same, same approaches and attacks. And, you know, I, I know exactly, you know, the answers to them and I've got links on my phone that they can see, you know, I mean, I've got you're armed, you're ready to go. Yeah, exactly. You got your artillery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's, 
it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I've really learned a lot. I know my audience has definitely learned a lot. I'm sure there's a few people in the audience that are like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But um, I think with anything, this goes within any kind of context of, in, of information that we're looking at. Um, whether it was everything that we just went through in the last two years with the world, you know, like all the different information coming around that, like you've got to get both sides of the story in order for you to be able to formulate a better understanding of what's really going on. And if you close yourself off to certain information that only speaks to a certain resistance that we need to look at within ourselves of why we're doing that. And I think this is really good because I actually like love vegetables. Like I, I, I mostly cooked vegetables. I will say that, but I, I love them. And so when I found your information, I was like, what? No, <laughs> but at the same time, I have felt my body wanting me to go towards a lot more meat. Like I felt it. So, um, there's gotta be something to that. So I appreciate all the information you share with us today and your time. Thank you for spending so much time here with me today. All good. And, um, let my audience know where they can find you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It was it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm most active on like Instagram and, and YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. It's just Anthony Chafee MD, and that's that's where I put you know all my videos. I have a podcast called The Plant Free MD, so I'd be on any any podcast uh, platform. And, uh, and then my Instagram is, is again, just Anthony Chafee MD. And, and I have a, a bunch of different posts and, and discussions, uh, especially like further down. And then I also post like when I'm, um, you know, publishing a new video, which I usually do sort of two, sometimes even three times a week. Cool. Okay. I'll leave all your links in the description below. So thanks hey, so thank much you. for joining me today and to the audience, uh, guys, I love you so much. I hope you found the information valuable and I'll keep you guys posted. If I, I know it's not an if I, I am going to do this and I'll kind of maybe do, um, I don't know, maybe like a diary series on like how I'm going like week by week and, and all of that. So, uh, thanks so much again and guys, I'll see you next week. Thanks again for joining me for another show on the Enlighten Up podcast. I love you guys so much for all of your continued support. So remember to raise your vibe, find your tribe and be open to the infinite possibilities held in the mysteries that surround us all. Thanks again for sharing the show with your family and friends. And if you're new to the show and you need to find out more information about me, please head on over to my website, NicoleFrolic.com, where you can join my newsletter. And please follow me on Instagram, Telegram, and YouTube. Keep your light bright and I'll see you next week.